0: You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. So last week, uh, Pastor Joe kicked off our series on the Ten Commandments by giving us an overview of the meaning of law, and uh, it, it was a a super rich sermon. It's one of those sermons that's worth going back to and listening to again and again because it, it is the kind of sermon that will help you. Better understand the Bible, okay? This morning, what I'd like to do is to start by highlighting a dimension of the law that Pastor Joe alluded to last week, but I think we see it very clearly in our passage today. And it's simply that the Ten Commandments are simple, Uh, In one sense, and we've seen this, Pastor Joe showed us this, in one sense, there is all kinds of depth when it comes to law. There's all kinds of depth when it comes to the Ten Commandments. But still, we should know they're not complicated. And that's that's kind of the point. It's that there's only Ten Commandments. Just Ten. So, for perspective, remember... This is from the God. These 10 commandments are from the God who is completely righteous which means he only, God only always does what is right. From all eternity, this God has existed in impeccable holiness. He is the God of blinding perfection. He lives in unspotted moral purity and flowing from his purity, he he has demands for his creatures, but the demands are so simple that he can get them down to 10. There are just mainly ten commandments that God expects, expects of us. And actually, it's fewer than ten. There's actually just one commandment, really. It's just one commandment, one thing. There's just really one thing that God expects of us, when we get down to like the essential, essential, there's one commandment that really is the key to every other commandment. If you can obey this one commandment, all the others will be taken care of. In fact, if you can obey this one commandment, you will not ever sin. This is the commandment that Jesus calls the great and first commandment do you know what it is? It's Exodus 20, verse 3. Now, Jesus, in Matthew 22, 37, he says it in the positive, Jesus says, quote, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And that's the same commandment, that we see in Exodus 20, verse 3, except there it's in the negative. Yahweh says, first commandment, Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. Only worship Yahweh. That's the first commandment. And then the second commandment, right after it in verse four, is just an extension of verse three. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. The second commandment, you shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Okay, we're looking at both of these commandments this morning in verses three and four. And in summary, I wanna just, we'll just say it like this, okay? The first commandment means only worship Yahweh. The second commandment means only worship Yahweh in the way of Yahweh. The first commandment is about the who of worship. The second commandment is about the how of worship. First two commandments, only worship Yahweh in the in the way of Yahweh. And that's simple, right? Like, that that's simple. Only worship Yahweh in the way of Yahweh. Like, we know this is a simple commandment. These two commandments are simple. But what I'd like to do this morning is I want to just give five um I expl- like statements of explanation that kind of unpack what these two commandments look like. Okay, I have five statements that, that really are like descriptions of obedience when it comes to these first two commandments. So if we obey, I'll, I'll say it this way, if we obey the first two commandments is going to look like these five things that I'm going to tell you. Okay, and I, I believe that the, the Lord would speak to us this morning. I believe the Lord has something for us um, in our passage. So let's pray and then we'll get started. Father, in this moment, we again thank you for the Bible. Thank you for your word. And we ask this morning in your word, we ask that you would show us your will and your ways. Father, we ask that in this moment, we ask you, show us, please show us your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so here's, that, here's the first statement of explanation. First statement goes like this. We worship Yahweh who made himself known. We worship Yahweh who has made himself known. Look at verse 3 again. The commandment straightforward, you shall have no other gods before me or besides me. The commandment simply is, um, you cannot, we cannot have other gods besides Yahweh, besides me, verse 3 says. And the most important word in the command is that word me. You guys see that word there in verse 3? The word me in verse 3 is actually, it's like, it's everything, Because whoever the me is in verse three, he requires of us exclusive worship. And of course, we know who this is because verse two has already told us. Look at verse two. The first thing that God says in verse two, he says, I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So beneath the first commandment and beneath all the commandments is that Yahweh is your God and he has saved you. He has rescued you. See, this is why it's important that we keep the 10 commandments in their proper context, okay? We don't want to just snatch these commandments out of what's going on here. They're part of a story. And this story is what we have seen so far in the book of Exodus, even going back to the book of Genesis. Yahweh, your God, in Exodus 20, verse 2, is we know the creator of heaven and earth and everything that is. He is the one who called Abraham by grace back in Genesis 12 and determined to bless all the nations of the earth through him. And so he made a promise to Abraham. And now in the book of Exodus, Yahweh has remembered that promise by rescuing Israel from their slavery in Egypt. That's what we see way back in Exodus chapter 2. Remember Exodus 2, this is just before God speaks to Moses in the burning bush. Remember, God saw the suffering of Israel and he remembered, the text tells us, he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so out of his great love, out of Yahweh's faithfulness, He calls Moses and he reveals himself. He tells us his name in the book of Exodus. Remember that? And remember, he tells us his name not as a way for us to control him, but it's actually just the opposite. If you remember in Exodus 3, Moses wants to know, he says to, 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 to the Lord, he says, what do I tell people when they ask me your name? And, and Yahweh says, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. There is no other way to define me other than in terms of myself, which means if you want to know me, watch what I do. If you want to know me, pay attention to how I make myself known, look at my mighty acts of salvation. And that's exactly what he does. And we see this over and over again in the book of Exodus, Yahweh acts in the world. He acts in history and he does it so that you shall know that I am Yahweh, your God over and over again. We see this, Yahweh reveals himself to Israel. He reveals himself to be the holy God who saves his people through amazing signs and wonders in triumph over all the gods of Egypt, stronger than the power of the enemy, sovereign over the heart of Pharaoh. This is Yahweh, your God. This is the God who has rescued you. Now worship only me. And after what we've seen, like after the way that Yahweh has made himself known, we should imagine that this is the easiest commandment of all. I mean, like what else? What else is Israel going to do? Like are they now, in Exodus 20, are they now going to like start worshiping the gods of Egypt? after what they've seen Yahweh do. I mean, this commandment, the first commandment, is really the simplest commandment of them all. The first commandment means we, we worship Yahweh, who has made himself known. All right, here, here's the second thing. We also, we, we worship Yahweh by giving him our total allegiance. And this is where I want to just slow down for a minute on the meaning of worship. Okay, the word worship isn't used in verse 3, but it's implied. And in other places throughout Scripture where we see this commandment repeated, we see the worship part is made more explicit. An example would be Jesus in Matthew 22. When Jesus says to love God with your everything, he's talking about worship. And and not having other gods— And and loving God with your everything. Those are two sides of the same coin, right? You you, we we see how they're connected. In fact, a little later in the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, this is Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses repeats the Ten Commandments. And then in Deuteronomy 6, Moses basically just summarizes the Ten Commandments. And this is what he says. This is his his main summary, his one big summary of the law. It's called the Shema. And it's in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. He says, Hear, O Israel. Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. That's what Jesus, that's where Jesus gets it from in Matthew 22. And again, if if we do this, if we can obey Deuteronomy 6.4, everything else will fall into place. We understand what the Lord is saying here. We understand what Moses is saying. Yahweh deserves our exclusive worship and our exclusive worship means our total allegiance and our total allegiance means we love him with every part of who we are. In other words, when it comes to the worship of Yahweh, we can never worship Yahweh and dot, dot, dot. It's not how it works. Total allegiance. Total allegiance means only Yahweh gets all of us. Only Yahweh gets all Of us. And of course, again, this makes sense. Like this is this is still simple here because because of who Yahweh is, after what he has done. I mean, can you imagine just loving him with like 60%? If you're Israel here, could you imagine only loving him with like 60%? I mean, this is the holy God who saved you. How could you not give him everything? This is where we start to see the problem of sin, okay? (laughs) Yahweh, of course, is worthy of our total allegiance. That part's simple. But in our sin, because we are sinners, this is what it means to be a sinner. It means that we fail to honor God with what he deserves. And so rather than give him everything we give him the 60%. Like, 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 like most of me worships him. Like most of me worships Yahweh, but like there's, there's still some parts of me, like I'll get to those later. I'll give him those parts later. And what, what makes this so easy to do is that 60%ers are for the most part good people. I mean, 60 percenters are church-going people. 60 percenters might have a solid theology with fine intentions. But 60 percenters... Break the first commandment because Yahweh does not have their total allegiance. We actually, we have a story in the Bible about someone like this. We don't know his name, but he was, he was a good guy. He was most likely a a young professional. He was super wealthy. And one day he comes up to Jesus and he says, teacher, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him to keep the commandments. And, and he says, okay, which ones? And Jesus, then he lays out, Jesus lays out the second table of the 10 commandments, which is basically everything to do with loving your neighbor. And the guy says back to Jesus, he says, Hey, I've done all that. What else? Like, what else do I need to do? And Jesus says, okay, go sell your possessions, give them away and come follow me. And you won't believe what happened next. You won't believe what this guy did. The gospel of Matthew tells us that he was saddened. He was saddened. Jesus tells him to follow him. he was saddened by what Jesus said. And he left Jesus because he had great possessions, which means he had another God. See, he kept the second table of the 10 commandments. He was a good guy. But he could not obey the very first commandment. He tried to have other gods besides Yahweh. And when Jesus told him to get rid of the other God, he could not do it. And notice what this means. It means he could not have Jesus. This guy is an example of what Jesus has already taught us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, and it's that you cannot serve two masters. It doesn't work that way. You can't serve two masters, which means 60 percenters can't actually follow Jesus. Like, they just can't. They might look like they do, but they can't actually follow Jesus. This is why Jesus said things like, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to hate your mom and dad. Jesus said that. That's supposed to get our attention. Jesus saying things like that is supposed to stop us in our tracks and we're supposed to say, what? Wait a minute, what? What Jesus means is that our love for him must be so total and so supreme that every other love, even commanded loves, compared to the love we have for him is like hate. Jesus, throughout the Gospels, he drills home the first commandment. It's the most important. To worship Yahweh means total allegiance. Total allegiance means only Yahweh gets all of us. And of course he does. (laughs) He deserves it. Right? He deserves it. Here's the third thing we see. We worship Yahweh by rejecting his rivals, by rejecting rival gods. Okay, this is, this is another step in total allegiance here, okay? It's the more negative angle. The commandment in Exodus 20 verse three is no other gods, okay? So the exclusive worship of Yahweh means we have to say no, It means that we really have to reject rival gods, okay? When I say rival, like I want you to hear me say it like rival, okay? Like that. Like Yahweh doesn't actually have rivals, okay? He doesn't share a platform with anyone. He is not one God among many, okay? So when I am talking about rivals, I don't mean rivals with Yahweh. I'm talking about rivals for our worship, okay, because that is a thing. Yahweh is holy. He's above and beyond every so-called God of this world, but the gods of this world do compete for our attention and they will get our attention unless we consciously reject them. We really have to say no And I think this is harder for us than it should be probably because um, it's probably because of how these other gods look, these little G gods, how they, how they look. When you think about, you know, little G gods, um, I think it's common for us to think about gods like Allah or Brahma or Baal or Vishnu. You know, these are, these are, our false gods who have names And it's easy, I think, for us to assume that we've said no to these other gods because we don't feel any pressure from them. I'd imagine that very few of us have probably come to a fork in the road where we had to choose between like Baal or Yahweh. Probably not, right? We've probably not been in in a position like that. It's not our situation. But here's the thing uh, with the word God here in the Hebrew. The word God is the word El, and it basically just means like power. It's a power. It's a deity. And, and so when you hear verse 3, hear it like, you know, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. It's not just talking about false gods with names, but it's every kind of God power that tries to steal your allegiance from Yahweh. Does that make sense? No gods before me is any kind of God slash power that tries to steal your worship. And all of a sudden now when when we think about it in that light, all kinds of things come to mind. What tries to steal your worship from Yahweh? What tries to steal, rob Yahweh of your total allegiance? Whatever that thing is, that is a rival God. And we must reject it. And I think the the biggest rival God in our day, the strongest power in our day that wants to rule us is I'm going to call it the God of secularism. Um, I think we should think of secularism as a little g God of this world. And it's really a way of seeing the world. Okay, We could also call it functional atheism okay? Secularism is a power that pictures the world with the true God completely removed from it. It's a picture of the world absent of Yahweh. And this picture of the world infects everything. This power infects everything, everything from how we think about security to how we look at sunrises, okay? just. Think about security for a minute. Um, uh, the Westminster Larger Catechism, which which is, is a Reformed catechism from uh, way back in 1647, it gives an elaborate explanation of the Ten Commandments. Like if you, every commandment, there's just long list of like different sins that are, uh, that are, um, that, you know, we should forbid because of these commandments. The first commandment, there's a long list of all these different sins that if we obey the first commandment, we forbid these sins. And one of these sins is this word called, this phrase called carnal security. The the Westminster larger catechism says, if we obey the first commandment, we we forbid carnal security. what, What a phrase. Like it's, Super relevant phrase, I think, for us because here, here's the thing when secularism is doing its thing, like when it's doing its thing, think about how often we are invited to find security in things other than God. Like in a world without God. This is secularism's picture of the world. In a world without God, in the pretend reality where Yahweh is not real, how do you think advertising is supposed to work? In a world where God doesn't exist, what do you think they are trying to sell you? The message that we hear all day long from secularism this is the message we hear all day long, is that if we only had blank, we'd be happy, we'd be fulfilled. We'd, we'd finally have that missing piece. If we only had blank, we would have the security of a good life. Secularism sells us carnal security all day long. B- because, yeah, I want you to get, get how this works. Because secularism says there is no God, it must sell happiness and security through God replacements. Does that make sense? They've removed God from the world, And so, in this world where there is no God, they have to then sell us happiness and security through God replacements. In a secular world where there is no God, the God replacements are meant to be the things that we're told to buy every single day, it's the stuff we buy. And I want to be clear about this. I don't mean that we don't buy stuff, okay? What I mean is that if we buy stuff, if we buy things looking for the security that is only found in Yahweh, we are breaking the first commandment. It means we have other gods besides Yahweh. There there are some things that we must say no to. Again, it doesn't mean that we don't buy things, but it does mean that we don't buy things for the reason secularism wants us to buy things. We must reject the rival. All rival gods. Reject the rival. And then when it comes to sunrises, okay, look, I'm really big into sunrises because Monday to Friday, every week, uh, every morning, um, around 7.30, I'm taking the kids to school, and we're headed east, and most mornings around 7.30, if the sky is clear, uh, you can see the sun rising, and uh, the kids can tell you, you wouldn't believe this sun. Like he wouldn't believe this sun. We there was one day this past week we were we were headed headed east on thirty six and like the the sky was clear and the sun was just I mean it was. It was just blazing. I mean, this thing was like blood orange. It looked, it, looked like a, it looked like a giant tangerine in the sky. And it was just singing. I mean, and the kid we saw, we looked at this thing. It was just amazing. It's just sitting right there in the sky. And in that moment, when I see that sun, I know what secularism wants me to do. In that moment, when I see that sun, secularism, the power, the God of secularism, wants me to look at the sun and say, meh, it's just a sun. Secularism wants me to say, Oh, that's just a big star in our solar system. Um, I'm going to ignore that. I'm going to move on with my day. That is the rival in that moment that is competing for my allegiance. That is the rival that is trying to rob God of my worship. And you just have to say no to that. That is a power that we must resist. It's a rival that we must reject because I want you to know it's never just the sun. It's never just the sun. Like the kids are with me. Look at that thing. Do you see? That is a giant tangerine in the sky. It is declaring the glory of God. God put that sun right there. He wanted us to see. It's for us in this moment so that we would worship him. So I reject any idea that would tell me not to worship God because of that sun. I will give God glory because look at the sun. Just look at it, right? We reject the rivals. We reject the rival gods. We worship God. We reject whatever it is that would rob God of our worship. The fourth thing is that we worship Yahweh by refusing worldly accommodation. And here, um, this is really close to rejecting his rivals, but we get into the second commandment. Remember, the first commandment is about the who of worship. The second commandment is about the how of worship. Look at verse 4 again. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God. So in the second commandment, it's not just about worshiping other gods, but it's about worshiping Yahweh in the way that other gods are worshiped. See, all the pagan neighbors of Israel worship their gods through carved images, and the second commandment says, that's not how it works with Yahweh. The second commandment forbids us from bowing down to or serving any image of a creature, whether heaven, whether from heaven, earth or the sea. And, and this can still sound a little bit like the First commandment, right? I mean, how is not bowing to any image any different from not worshiping other gods? These are very similar commandments, but there's a story in Exodus that I think shows us the nuance. It's in Exodus 32. Um, While Moses is on the mountain receiving the law, Apparently, he stays on the mountain a little longer than what the people wanted. And so the people of Israel come to Aaron, and they say to Aaron in Exodus 32, verse 1, hey, make gods for us. Make us gods who shall go before us. Um, As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And Aaron in Exodus 32, he just does exactly what the people want. He takes their gold and he fashions it into this golden calf and all the people look at this golden calf and they say, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, which breaks the first commandment very clearly. But then Aaron in Exodus 32, he builds an altar and he says, tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. Which means, at least for Aaron, the golden calf was not a departure from Yahweh, but it was a man-made method to reach Yahweh. Basically, it's like a babble again. And Aaron is trying to make this babble about Yahweh. It's that the people could not see Yahweh, and Moses had been absent. And so Aaron is trying to make Yahweh more accommodating. Let's just get to Yahweh through a golden calf. And now why is it a calf? You ever wonder that? Like, why is it a calf and not like an eagle or a shark or something? Yeah. I mean, they got three layers, you know, heaven, earth, and the water. I mean, it could have been any of those things. But, but here's, here's the thing. Back in Egypt, the most important animal image in Egypt was a calf. The, the image of a calf represented the Egyptian god, Ptah, who was Egypt's creator god. And Israel knew this. Like, they knew that. And so what, here's what's going on here. Israel had seen Egypt worship their god with this calf image. And so they just say to Aaron, hey, we want one of those. Give us one of those. They're not listening to Yahweh. They're just trying to fit in with everyone else. They're trying to be like Egypt. And this should be, this should sound odd to us. Like this story should be strange to us. It's, it doesn't make sense. Although we see this show up in Scripture over and over again, and we still we we deal with this today. We deal with this today. It's that for some reason. We assume that we can be lovers of Yahweh and still do all the same things as the haters of Yahweh. Why do you want to be like Egypt? Why why does Israel want to be like Egypt? obedience to the second commandment means we refuse all worldly accommodation. We're not trying to parrot the pagans. We're not trying to serve Yahweh as if he were an Egyptian God, because he's not, and he won't have it. Yahweh is a jealous God. Don't give his glory to another. Don't act like he's just anyone else. Only worship Yahweh in the way of Yahweh. Simple, simple. Last thing, number five, we worship Yahweh by embracing his true image. Now, I just want to be clear about the second commandment. The forbidding of images doesn't mean that Yahweh cannot be imaged at all. It just means we can't use the wrong image, which in Exodus 20, in this moment of redemptive history, that meant no image at all. When Yahweh speaks to Moses and the people at Sinai, they saw no form. The Bible is clear about this. Moses actually highlights Yahweh's formlessness in Deuteronomy 4. And He knew it would be a problem for Israel. This is what he says in Deuteronomy 4.15. He says to Israel, therefore watch yourselves very carefully since you saw no form on the day that Yahweh spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourself in the form of any figure. Moses is just repeating the second commandment. Moses knew the second commandment would be a challenge for the people because like the nations, they wanted a God they could see and touch. And they wanted a God like that so badly that they were willing to fabricate that God. If they couldn't see God like they wanted, then they carved, they would carve their own image of him. And not only is this a breaking of the second commandment, but in more detail, this is the the man-made seizing of something out of place. We've, We've already seen this theme in Genesis. One way to describe sin is the seizing of a legitimate good at times or in ways that God has forbidden. Listen, it's not evil. It's not evil that Israel wanted to see and touch Yahweh. It's evil that they demanded that of Yahweh at a time when Yahweh said no. And in their demand, they devised their own solution. They carved their own image rather than trusting Yahweh's plan, which would mean later that he would indeed give an image of himself to his people. Later on in redemptive history, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, Jesus Christ, who is the true image of God. The apostle Paul is absolutely clear about this. In Colossians 115, Paul says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul says that, that we must see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Hebrews 1.3 says Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature. Jesus himself says in John 14.9, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So Yahweh, who hid himself at Sinai, the God who had no form, who Israel could not see or touch, he has now revealed himself in the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. And the apostle John says, we've heard him. We, we've seen him with our eyes. We have touched him with our hands. Jesus is God manifest to us. He is the whole fullness of deity dwelling in a human body. Jesus is one person with two natures. Jesus is God and man. Obedience to the second commandment means we reject all false man made images. And we embrace, we embrace the one true image of God who is Jesus Christ, the living, breathing, real image of God. And although at this moment in history, we've not seen him, right? We've not seen him yet. But Jesus means, Jesus means that God has a face. God has a face. And one day, we will see him with our eyes and we will touch him with our hands. Yes, we will see him and we will touch him. And until that day, Every week we remember him at this table. Yahweh, who has made himself known. Yahweh, who made himself seeable and touchable. He also made himself breakable. Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And he did that for us. Jesus died for our sins, which means Jesus died for all the ways that we have broken his commandments. And on the third day, Jesus was raised from the dead so that whoever believes in him Whoever believes in Jesus will be forgiven and saved and welcomed into the worship of God, which means we only worship Yahweh in the way of Yahweh, which means we only bow to Jesus. It's simple. It's simple. That is the good news of the gospel. It's the good news of the gospel. And this morning, if you... If you trust in Jesus, if you only worship Jesus, if you bow to Jesus alone in this moment, we invite you now to eat with us and to drink with us at this table. We're gonna serve the bread first. His body is the true bread. Let us serve you.